are to you for being here this morning, and uh, we hope that you have been encouraged through our time in worship. Uh, before we start this morning, I do want to take just a quick moment and introduce uh, two people to you. Um, sometime last spring, I think, right, uh, Landon Spears and Megan Lance uh, started uh, coming around and, and worshiping with us and have been here uh, since the spring. And Megan and Landon are sitting right over here. If y'all would raise your hands where, so I can see where you are. Uh, and Megan and Landon are engaged to be married. Yeah. Uh, Landon and Megan are engaged to be married in 2019, so we look forward to celebrating that with them. But they want to uh, be a part of this church family, and uh, I hope you'll get to know them. The great thing about Landon and Megan is they've already... Uh, jumped in and gotten involved and have volunteered to serve and things like that and, and uh, came and attended the marriage seminar back in September and uh, just grateful for them and their energy that they bring. They're, they're, they're a power couple you need to get to know. And, uh, and so I want to ask you to stand if you're near them or want to go near them. We're going to pray over them, welcome them to the family, and then we'll, uh, we'll start our sermon this morning. <coughs> God, we proclaim again this morning, we believe that you are a holy God. You're worthy of our praise as we've just been singing. <clears throat> we're grateful to you, God, as we were reminded around the table that uh, for the act of the great act of love that was on display in your uh, going to the cross for us, to be with us, to be a part of our lives, to establish a community like this so that we can <clears throat> encourage each other in this life. <clears throat> We're grateful this morning for Landon and for Megan for uh, their desire to be recognized as a part of this body. That We've already seen them function in that way and, and have welcomed them in. And we just are excited about what you're going to do through them. We're excited about the story that they've already uh, lived up to this point and grateful to be a part of that story as you continue to write the story of their life together uh, in the days and weeks and years to come. Uh, we pray for the ways that they will be a blessing to this church, to this community. And uh, I pray that you'll, you'll bless them and that they'll feel welcomed and a part of this church family. We pray now, God, this morning that you'll be with us as we open uh, your written word together. And we pray that it will point us to Christ, that we'll see Christ's love for us through the pages that we read, the words that we read, <clears throat> so that our hearts will be more in tune with you, with your desires and your will for us, so that we can live in the way that you want us to live. We pray this morning you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you want us to see and hear through our time and study. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. Thank you, guys. If you want to be finding a Bible uh, or a way to look at some scripture this morning uh, as you're going to your seat, we're going to be in Malachi chapter 3 in just a few minutes together. Malachi chapter 3. If uh, probably been a while since you've turned to the book of Malachi. I mean, I don't know. Some of you might be regular readers of the book of Malachi, but I would guess not. And, uh, and so be finding that. You'll want to follow along with me in just a minute. I want to start this morning with a story. There's a story about uh, a church that was out in the country, uh, and this church had uh, squirrels in their ceilings. Oh, my microphone's working. Okay. Okay, thank you. So there was a there's a church that was out in the country, and this church had squirrels in their attic in their ceiling, and they could not figure out that the the church leaders got together they couldn't figure out 
the solution. How do we get these these squirrels out of the out of the ceiling, out of the attic? They're wreaking havoc. They're tearing things up. So the elders get together in this church and they decide, you know what we'll do is we'll pray about it. You know, we'll, so they get together and they pray hard for a week and, and nothing happens. You know, uh, the, the prayers, I guess, are not answered. God wants the squirrels to stay. I don't know what the reason for that was, but, but you know, it didn't work. And so next, uh, the elders commission the ministry leaders. They say, you know, we need you guys. You know, you're, you're running, you know, all these different ministries, but we, we got this really serious problem we need to fix because if we don't fix the squirrel problem, then there's going to be other problems that get created. And so uh, why don't you guys get together and figure out how we're going to get rid of the squirrels. And so these ministry leaders get together, and they, they decide to set squirrel traps, and, and they you know do whatever you do to try to get rid of these squirrels, but it still doesn't work. And so this thing's been going on for some time now, and, and so the youth minister has an idea. You know, all youth ministers have creative ideas, and uh, ours is certainly... Uh, the case that's certainly the case here in Kaufman and this I can see Chris doing something like this actually but in this story it's not actually Chris but this youth minister he has the idea he says I know what I'll do I'll actually catch the squirrels and I'll throw them in the church van and then I'll drive out further out into the country and I'll I'll let them out into the wild and you know maybe then they'll leave us and and they won't bother our church building and so sure enough the youth minister catches these squirrels miraculously and gets them in the church van, and they wreak havoc inside the church van, but he eventually gets them out to, you know, further out into the country, and he drops these squirrels off. But wouldn't you know it, that the squirrels find their way back like a lost dog to the church building. And, and before you know it, it's just a week or two later, these same squirrels are back in the attic of the church building, and they are creating even greater problems. And so finally the preacher decides that, you know, he hasn't tried anything yet, and he, so he has a plan that he'll try. And he thinks, I know what I'll do. And he tells the elders and the ministry leaders and the staff, he says, I'll baptize these squirrels, you know, <clears throat> and then we'll get them into church, and then I'll preach a series of sermons on giving, and then they will leave and never come back. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> we are beginning a series today on money. If you didn't see the email that I sent out. I'm going to call it Money Matters. A little play on words there. Money does matter. And it's also a matter that we need to discuss. And I want you to know as I start uh, today that uh, I missed the opportunity to say this back in August, but uh, back in August we started, uh, I started my eighth year here. I'm not saying that so that you applaud or so you get too excited. Some of you may be depressed about that. I don't know. But I started my eighth year here in Kaufman. And as I was thinking about that, uh, and I've reflected on these the first seven years of our time here, uh, it occurred to me that I have never preached on the topic of money. Now, some of you might say, well, I've heard you talk about it. I would say you might have occasionally heard me talk about it, probably mostly around like Mission Sunday. But I have never actually done a, a series of sermons on giving or money or stewardship of any, of any kind. The closest, again, that I've come is around missions. And there's a reason for that. I've had some anxiety, quite honestly, about this series. I've planned to do it for some time and kind of just finally found a, a couple of weeks. I think that it worked well with our schedule. One, I, I wanted to, to teach the content that I'm going to teach over the next couple of weeks. And I don't want, I want you to know up front that there's not like at the end of this series in three weeks, it's just going to be a three-week series. At the end of this three weeks, there isn't going to be 
uh, some big thing that I ask you to give to. Now, if you feel compelled to do that, then that's between you and God. That's not my purpose. And I want to state that very clearly from the beginning. What I really wanted to do as I've thought about this series is just to talk about money because it is a topic that is discussed so much in the Bible. I, I read somewhere in preparation for this series that in the about 40, 40 or so parables that Jesus teaches, about half of his parables are dealing with money in some way or another. So it's clearly a topic that mattered to Jesus. He's talking about it all the time. The Bible talks about money all the time. And, and I know that that reality isn't reflected in my preaching because I haven't in the first seven years I've preached here talked about it really at all in any kind of a deeper, meaningful way. And so I want you to know that, that from the beginning that though I've had that anxiety about it, that comes from mostly bef- because of the fact that I know that there have been abuses with money, you know, uh, TV preachers asking churches, asking people to give money so they can buy them, you know, a jet. If some of you want to buy me a jet, I won't be upset about that, but that is not the goal, right? And I think that we see churches and church leaders kind of doing things and asking people for money and giving to things, and you go, well, maybe that's not God's desire you know, for you to have a private jet or something like that. And we, so we kind of cringe a little bit about that. The other reality for me is that I know that my salary and our staff's salary is connected to your giving. And so uh, I, I, it's a little, seems a little self-serving in some ways, or it could, to talk about it. But I want you to know up front that for me, it has nothing really to do with those things. I, I, wanna, I want you to consider this morning uh, that, that money matters to God, and that that's really the reason that I want to talk about it. I think it's a topic that we see again and again and again and again. One reason that I've avoided it, uh, it, I I, I have avoided it in my first seven years here, and I don't want to do that anymore. I want to talk about things that Jesus talks about. And so the reason that I I know that money matters uh, and and that money needs to be discussed is, is because, among Christians, is because money is never neutral. Money is not something that is neutral in your life or my life or anyone else's life. Uh, money is, this, is a physical thing, right? A paper with a picture of a dead president on it that has been assigned value. It's a physical thing. I want you to think about this. But it impacts us spiritually. A physical thing that impacts you spiritually. And money always, I think money always has the ability to create you know, momentum to, to move us toward faith or away from faith. And all too often, I think what happens with money is that we, it's, it kind of becomes a silent killer of people spiritually because it's never discussed and people aren't thinking about their own money and how do I deal with it and how do, does it matter? Does God care what I do with my money or is it just kind of all mine and I get to do with it whatever I want? And so what I really want over the next three weeks for you to consider is, is that, is, is your relationship with your money. And not that I'm going to do some, you know, big ask at the end of the series where I ask you to give to some, some thing, but that this, the, the big request, really, of the next three weeks is that you kind of deal with your own heart in this topic and that you reflect on your own so that money doesn't become something that controls or that consumes something that becomes this idol that we are unknowingly worshiping because we don't think about it, right? And when I think when we avoid talking about it, it, it's like we avoid doing a spiritual autopsy 
a spiritual diagnosis, right? When someone dies from an unknown cause, they do an autopsy on the body to determine why they died. And I can't help but wonder if many people suffer spiritually because of this physical thing, money, that is a part of who we are. It's a part of our lives. It's inescapable. We can't avoid it. But we don't reflect on the impact that it has on us spiritually, and so it kind of continues to have that impact, and there's no process that we think through about what we're going to do with that reality. So one of the first places that money and the topic of money shows up, at least in the New Testament, is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preaching this sermon, and he says these words in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin or rust maybe some of your translations would say, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus teaches us in this short few verses that our hearts will chase our money. Our hearts will chase our treasure. Where our treasure is, right, matters to God. Because God knows that our hearts will chase our treasure. And, and, and your treasure may not only be your money, it could be a lot of other things, right? But, but it will certainly, your heart will always chase whatever it is that you're pursuing, your heart will chase. Whatever it is you're thinking about, whatever it is that you see as you reflect on your own checking account that gets a lot of money spent on it your heart will chase that thing because you're spending time doing it. When I was a kid, you could go into a a convenience store, and and some of you will remember this, on the candy aisle, right? And it always seemed like at least the the convenience stores that I went to, the candy aisles that I went to at the the bottom of the candy aisle, the shelf there, were these three boxes. They were always kind of open and had individually wrapped pieces of bubble gum in them. Uh, there were three flavors always, green apple, grape, and then bubble gum flavor. And, 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 and does anybody else remember this gum? Yeah, okay. I don't ever see it anymore. I don't know why the convenience store stopped doing that, but it was all individually wrapped. And, you know, you grabbed however many you wanted. They were all like a nickel a piece or something like that. And I was in the convenience store like in the convenience store the other day, and I was thinking about this, and I noticed that I didn't see it, and then I started thinking about the fact that I hadn't seen this in a long time. And it's probably because the gum really isn't that good. I mean, it lasts like three seconds in your mouth once you, you know, chew it, and then you're like, I need to spit this gum out. I wasted a nickel on this piece of gum. But when I was a kid, I didn't know that. And there was a time where I went into a convenience store with my mom, and I went, you know, I'm looking at this gum, and I, and I think to myself, I need that gum, you know. So I just, I don't think anybody will notice if a couple of pieces are missing from this open box. So I grab a couple of pieces out of this open box and stick it in my pocket. Because I haven't quite figured out, you know, how to steal, which is probably a good thing, by the way. Uh, I get in the car and I'm unwrapping a piece of bubble gum and my mom hears that and I got to walk back into the store and confess my sin, my transgression, right? Return the gum that hasn't been chewed yet to the clerk there that's working in the store. And I, and, I, and I give this un, unchewed, you know, piece of gum back. And my mom explained to me when I was, you know, when we walked out of the store back to the car uh, that I hadn't paid for that, right? That's, that's why I had to return it. She didn't t- explain it on the front end, but I just had to return it. 
that I had been stealing and talked about what stealing was and all of that. And I was obviously surprised because in my mind I'm thinking I was young enough to just think gum, I need it. It's probably inexpensive enough. It doesn't matter. I don't even remember that I thought that. I just mostly thought about it, my need for it. And I was surprised that I had been caught stealing. And I, I imagine that the surprise that I felt on that day was something very similar to the surprise that God had for the nation of Judah that we read about in Malachi chapter 3. And I want to just kind of set up the, the short book of Malachi very quickly. As we enter the story, the prophecy of Malachi, uh, here's what you need to know. It's one of the uh, last books of the Old Testament that was probably written. And in this story, the Jews uh, have, had returned from exile. They had been exiled and sent away to Babylon. And they had returned from Babylon, and they're resettling in the land, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls that Nehemiah was a part of, built, re helping rebuild. And they think, you know, everything is going pretty well for them. Uh, and they, you know, but, but the reality is it's really not. I mean, they, they like, they'd like to think that things are going well, but the, the reality is not. The crops were failing. Locusts were devouring their plants. Uh, there was a drought in the land. And so they're throwing their hands up to God. They're thinking, okay, just imagine if you're, if you're you know, Israel, you had been cast away in Babylon. You'd returned to, the home, to your homeland, right? You're thinking now God's looking out for us. God's taking care of us. God's watching out for us. And yet you're experiencing drought. You're experiencing locusts devouring your crops. You're experiencing all kinds of difficulty. Your crops are failing. And so Judah wants to know, does God, do you really love us, God? And they're sort of throwing their hands up in the air. Why aren't you helping us? And so the setting for the, the, the book of Malachi is sort of set up like a trial. And so here are the characters I want you to, to kind of know in the, in the book. Judah, in the, in the trial, Judah is the accuser, accusing God, accusing God of what God has or hasn't done for them, the tribe of Judah. God is the defendant trying to defend his case, right? The priests are the judge, and the setting is at the temple. And it doesn't take long, just a few, you know, few verses in, to realize that the trial quickly turns from Judah accusing God to God questioning them. They thought they were going to get to ask, why haven't you been helping us? Where are you? And God asks instead, why don't you love me? And so I'm going to begin in Malachi chapter 3. Uh, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the de descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me. But you ask, God says, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Now I want to just stop there. So there's a question that's asked here. We're going to keep reading in just a minute. But the question is, will a human rob God? Is it possible for a human to rob God? And the answer, of course, is no, right? Not even idol worshipers. Pagans would rob their 
gods. They're lowercase g gods. And God said, yet God says, you're robbing me. And they ask, how are we robbing you? And God's answer is in tithes and offerings. Now, before we look at that a bit more and look at God's response a bit more, some quick background about this. The, the, the law in Leviticus, the Levitical law, said that Jews were to tithe everything. Their crops, their cattle, a tenth of everything was to be given to God. An example of this, you see this, and it talks about it in a couple of different Gospels, Matthew and Luke. In Matthew, Matthew's version, in Matthew chapter 23, he's kind of calling the Pharisees out. Some of you will remember this story. We're not going to go look at it in detail, but he kind of calls the Pharisees out, and he says, uh, you know, you tithe a tenth of all your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you neglect the weightier laws of the matter, matter the weightier matters of the law, excuse me, right? Caring for people is what Jesus is talking about in that context. But what I want you to hear is he's, he's kind of, you know, applauding them for saying, listen, you get this part of it. You, tenth a, you, you tithe a tenth of your spices to God. That, that's sort of how it works, right? I got a bag full of, you know, cumin seasoning, and I'm going to tie the tenth of it to God, right? This is the way that it worked. Your crops, your cattle, a tenth of everything. That was the normal part of the Levitical law. And a part of their tithes uh, supported their place of worship, the temple. Part of their tithes supported the Levites so that the Levites could focus on their priestly duties. The Levites were not given land. They didn't have an inheritance like all the other tribes of Israel. Levites were intended, were, were their, their task was to to serve as priests, and that the rest of the people of Israel would help provide for the priests, kind of like a paid preacher. I think it's a pretty good idea. <clears throat> so they couldn't, but the, what that meant was Le- Levites couldn't farm for themselves. Uh, their job for Israel was to be priests and to represent God to Israel and Israel to God. And so their tithe was part of what the priests lived off of as well. But the charge, notice in Malachi 3, isn't that the that they're withholding their tithes from the temple or they're withholding their tithes from the Levites. The charge is that they are robbing God. They're robbing God. And the way that they are robbing God, I mean, they say we aren't stealing from you, right? We're just being wise because these are tough times, God. Right? We just came back from Babylon. We were, we were aliens and strangers in a foreign land. We were prisoners. We were in captivity. And now we've come out and we're back here. But, man, things are still kind of hard. We're still kind of getting back on our feet. The crops are not as strong as we need them to be. The locusts have been unbelievable. There is a drought in the land. And we're hoping, God, that you are going to come through for us. These are tough times. If it was today, maybe, maybe the Israelites would have said, you know, God, health insurance prices have really skyrocketed. Gas prices are through the roof. You know, God, a dollar just doesn't go quite as far as it used to. These are uncertain times. We have to take care of ourselves first. But God is insistent. It's not that there was a curse coming. You notice that? God says there is a curse now. The drought is here. You are under a curse. Your whole nation, because you are robbing me. And the way forward is not to guard your wealth, 
or stop giving completely. The way forward is to trust God with the whole tithe. And so let's pick back up in verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, God says, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your, your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations around you will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You think, God says, that you can make it through tough times by being cautious. We think when things are most difficult, I have been guilty of it. When things are most difficult financially, what our, our probably natural default human reaction <coughs> is, is to, to kind of pull everything in, right? To be cautious. And God says the way forward isn't to guard your wealth or to stop giving. It's to trust God. It's to trust that even in the tough times that God is the one that will get us through to the other side. God says, I will bring you through to the other side. I will give you enough. In fact, I won't just give you enough. If you trust me, if you test me, one of the only places we see that kind of language from God in all, in all the Bible, God dares us, essentially, as this trial is playing out, to test him. Just see. If you don't believe it, then just test me and just see if, if I won't not only give you enough, but won't blow open the floodgates so much that you won't have room enough to store what I give. Put me to the test. Bring the whole tithe in, everything, and, and see if I won't surpass your expectations. I'll take care of you to the point that other nations will even notice, and they'll look around, and they'll go, my goodness, look what their God is doing, I'm blessing them. Well, guess what? We are the nation of God, the people of God, and this message applies for us. But the question I want to consider is, what is the word in this story for us today? Because, you know, someone could say, well, Doug, we're not under the Old Testament law, right? Under the Old Testament law, tithing was commanded. We've already talked about that. The law was commanded to tithe, but, but the, tithe, the, the, the idea of the law didn't create the practice of tithing. Let me get that out of my mouth. The practice of tithing, tithing interestingly enough, uh, is something that happened before the law of Moses, an interesting story in Genesis 14 shows up. I actually preached on a part of this passage and it kind of had a different focus during uh, the Christmas Advent season last year. But an interesting story in Genesis 14, which I'm going to kind of summarize and encourage you to go kind of read the last part of Genesis 14, maybe on your own. But in Genesis 14, <coughs> Abram, who hasn't, he's going to become Abraham, but he's not Abraham yet, gets word that his nephew Lot has been carried off by a coalition of four kings. And so Abram gets his people together, and they go to rescue Lot and to bring Lot back. And they overtake these four kings. And Abraham not only wins this battle, but he takes all the plunder from these kings. And when he returns, he meets a guy named Melchizedek, Genesis 14. Now, what's interesting about Melchizedek is that, you know, God is, Abraham is the guy to whom God is going to promise uh, that his descendants will be as many as the sand on the shore and the stars in the sky, but that's coming, right? 
This is before that. So Genesis 14 is here, and it's, we, you know, there's a guy who's Melchizedek that Genesis 14 calls the priest of the God Most High. So before God kind of begins to make his people, there's already a guy named Melchizedek who is serving as a priest of God. Wrap your mind around that one on your own. I don't have a lot of ability to explain it. I just think it's interesting. God's working. Maybe the message is God's working before Abraham really thinks God's working, right? And, and Melchizedek is the king of Salem, and Genesis says he's the priest of the God Most High. So Abraham and Melchizedek, they share bread and they share wine. Melchizedek brings out the bread and the wine. They share this bread and this wine. And then Abraham tithes to the priest Melchizedek. Now he doesn't tithe because Melchizedek, uh, because he, he tithe, or because he's the king of Salem. He tithes because Melchizedek is the priest of the God Most High. And so this happens, the interesting thing is that this happens about 700 years or so before the law of Moses, right? Moses getting the Ten Commandments. Abraham wasn't commanded to do it, so why did he do it? And my, my thought is, my answer to that is, because this is what you do when God blesses you. This is what you do when God pours out his favor on you. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is a priest, but he's not a priest under the law of Moses. The writer of Hebrews says Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Our story as followers of Christ is not rooted entirely in the, the law of Moses. It's, it's rooted in the promises of God throughout Scripture. And by faith, we are heirs of Abraham's promise. And just as Abraham tied to Melchizedek to share God's blessing, we share in the blessings of God by tithing to God, to our priest, King Jesus, who is also, like Melchizedek, both king and priest. And there's a question, I think, that sort of hangs in the air when you talk about money, right? Especially about tithing. Do I have to give tithe, you know, tithing, the, kind of the way of thinking about that is giving 10% of our income to God. And the question that kind of hangs in the air is, uh, is, is tithing a Christian practice? Uh, and, I, and I think the answer is yes. And I believe that tithing is a Christian practice, but I would even take it a step further. I would say tithing is at least what we are to do. Right? It's a really good baseline for who we are to be as the people of God. Christians are not commanded to tithe by law, but we are invited. And that's a really important distinction, I think, to make. We see the examples of tithing, of giving generously throughout Scripture. We're not necessarily commanded to do it, but we are invited to do it. It's a general idea you see happening, the people of God giving over and over and over again. Sharing in the blessings of God through tithing. So I think tithing is a Christian practice, yes. And I still think God wants the whole tithe, the whole thing. And the reason I think that God wants the whole tithe isn't, yes, there are needs that we have. Yes, there are salaries to pay. There's, you know, worship you know, needs to take care of. There's building facility needs to take care of. There's, you know, electricity, electricity bills to pay. All of those things. The church has needs. That isn't the reason we give. The community has needs. Right? We, we, God, you, I mean, just wrap your mind around this one. God doesn't need our money, and yet God uses human currency to expand his kingdom. 
God could do it without it, but it seems like God often does use that, that means to accomplish a lot of things that take place in the kingdom of God. Now, that's not the reason that, that we tithe either. We don't tithe for all the things that we see here, that happen here. We don't tithe because the community needs it primarily. We give because God knows that you and I have a need, a need for a blessing, a need to have a relationship that we have, where we have a person a, that we primarily place our trust and our hope in. My heart, your heart's default behavior is going to be to turn inward. Our, our default behavior is going to be to turn inward and to look at our own needs and our own stuff, our own selves first. And God knows that we have a need to focus our eyes out beyond what we have and beyond who we are and beyond what's happening just with us. On September the 7th, uh, 1971, a man named Hugh McNatt uh, sued his church. Uh, Hugh's preacher had preached on this passage, Malachi chapter 3, so don't be getting any ideas about suing your church. And Hugh wanted to, re- the preacher had said something like, if you give, God will bless you, right? That's, that's the way he had interpreted Malachi 3. Which could be, you could see that, right? Test God, I give, the floodgates open. Where's the money that God promised, right? God promised money. God promised a return on my investment. He wanted to recover his tithes from the congregation, so he sued because God hadn't come through. Again, the message had been something like, if you tithe, God will bless you in return. And in response, he had given $800 of his own money. And he hadn't seen a blessing. So he sued for the 800 that he had not seen and the blessing that he was promised that never came. You know, I, I don't know Hugh McNatt. I, didn't, I read, you know, heard about this story. But I can tell you this about him. He did not understand blessing. He gave his money, certainly. That happened, right? But he did not give his heart. The reason we give is because God is interested in our hearts. And I started with Matthew 6 because I want to come back to Matthew 6, that God knows that where our treasure is, our hearts will follow. So the discipline of giving, for me, personally, this is me speaking, I believe that it helps, me rem- helps remind me of where I want my heart to go. I love my kids, but I don't want all my money to be spent on them. And I love my health, but I don't want all my money to be spent on my health. And I love, you know, a lot of, I to eat, but I want all my money to be spent on eating, right? Like, so there's a lot of things that we're going to give to and things we're going to do. And those things can consume our money, our, our vacations. I love to vacation, right? But I don't want my heart to be consumed with vacationing or taking great trips. So I give. And I, want, I think God wants us to give because he knows that our hearts will follow where we give. And God doesn't need our money. The kingdom of God functions within every other human kingdom, growing, expanding, changing people's lives. And while God doesn't need it, he uses human currency to accomplish making disciples of all nations. And so we bring the whole tithe, our money and our lives together together. And when we do that, God sharpens our senses. God makes us more aware of the needs of others. God makes us more aware of how everything we have comes from Him, and we are simply 
stewards of those gifts. As we give, God trains us to see money from God's point of view. Tithing is a discipline, and it gives discipline to create order in a chaotic world of finances. There are studies that you can find if you just research it on your own uh, of story after story after story of people who tithe and, and, the, and the evidence, that the research that's been done to show that people who tithe regularly have less financial problems than people who don't. But we give not because we're afraid or because we think God's going to, you know, pour out buckets of money on our front porch or, you know, whatever the you imagine the floodgate looking like, right? The floodgate of blessing may not come back in a return on your money. It may come back in a thousand other ways. And giving gives us eyes to see that blessing looks different than just the return of our money. You might get the return of your money, but that's not a guarantee. Tithing puts us in a position to trust and depend on God, which leads us to thankfulness when we do get a blessing that is poured out upon us. And so we give not so we can get more. We don't measure the blessing by the number of zeros in our bank account. Uh, we, we give so that we can trust more, really. We give out of joy, out of wanting to participate in what God is doing. And we want to participate because we, we believe, we, we can see, right? We have eyes to see all the ways that God has richly blessed us. Stan talked about that just a minute ago. That we see the evidence of the good gifts that God has poured out upon us. And I, I know that I have seen personally in my own life, I remember years ago when I first came across Malachi chapter 3, Lana and I were, uh, I hadn't really heard anybody talk about it much before. Lana and I were newly married and were challenged with some opportunity and this scripture was preached and we were a part of a gathering where we heard it preached and, and we just decided, all right, we're going to take you up on it, God. We're going we're to test you. And and the, the phrase that some of you may have heard before is, you can't outgive God. It can be kind of a fun game to try, right? If you try to test God and go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give generously and then see blessing come back to you, not always in financial ways, but in a thousand other ways, the God's floodgates begin to open. And so I think the application is for us this morning is to reflect on our own hearts, to think about our own lives, to consider where our treasure is. Are we robbing God in some way? Are you robbing God in some way? And then make a decision, again, not out of guilt or out of any of that, but about whether or not you'll put God to the test if you're not, to see if God won't throw open the floodgates. Will the church benefit as we give financially? Absolutely. Will the community and other ministries benefit because of you? Absolutely. But the real reason we give, we are the real winners in the gift of giving. The grace of giving. We are the real winners. Because God, he gets our money. And that's a part of it. God doesn't really care as much about that. That's not an excuse to not give. It's that God is interested in our hearts. And Jesus said that where our hearts, where our treasure is, our hearts will follow. Our hearts will be where our treasure is. And that is what Jesus wants. He wants us. He wants you. He wants me. He wants others, right? To be in relationship with him and to be giving as a part of that relationship is a, is a way to continually depend upon and express trust 
in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want to ask you to consider, again, there's no uh, big thing that we're going to ask you to give to at the end of this next couple of weeks. The goal for this, I've wanted to do this for some time, has simply been for us to consider, how are we doing in that regard, right? And can I do more? Can I consider doing more? Can I, can I, am I interested in testing God and seeing if God's word is true for me, that God will bless me in ways that I couldn't ask or imagine. So this morning, sermons like this are, are kind of, you know, weird to end because there's, there's, they're really about a singular topic, and, and, uh, and so what I want to do is just pray for us and pray that God will bless us really as we consider this topic the next couple of weeks. I hope that you like the squirrels in the beginning of the story, won't run away the next two weeks because I believe that God has some things he wants to teach me and to teach you over the next couple of weeks together. So I encourage you to come back and hear kind of the rest of this. Um, but I want to ask for God to be with us as we talk about it because it's, it's an uncomfortable topic, really. We, nobody likes to, you know, have somebody talking about their money. Right? And so I, I hope that this morning that you'll hear my heart in this. I want us to... I want us to give our hearts to God. That's mostly what I want. And I think that as that happens, our money will follow that because our hearts will be invested mostly in the kingdom of God. So I want to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song. And during the singing of that song, I want to invite anybody that may need to respond to come. Uh, we all provide that time, but you may want to pray with somebody around you or there'll be an elder in the back. However you need to respond, uh, you can do that after this prayer. Let's pray together. Father, this morning uh, we, we hear the story in Malachi and we see the actions of Israel that when things got tough, uh, they, they retreated and they blamed and accused. And I confess, God, that things in my life, when they've gotten tough before, I've done the same thing. And also I've reacted the other way. When I've made more money or I've, I've had more resources, financial resources that I've, I've still hoarded, and I pray that we will be people who are interested mostly in giving you our hearts and surrendering our lives to you and, tr and believing this truth from Jesus that where our treasure is will be where our heart is too. I pray, God, this morning that you'll be with us over the next couple of weeks as we talk about this topic, that you'll prepare and open our hearts to s hear what you want us to hear to see what you want us to see and to receive what you want us to receive. Uh, that you'll help us to be able to honestly evaluate in our own lives whether we've robbed you now or we've robbed you in the past uh, and to assess in our own lives how we manage our money, how we think about our money and how what kind of control that has over us, the kind of idol it has become. You know, I pray you'll give us wisdom and guidance as we embark upon the next couple of weeks, that you'll help us to think honestly about those things and to uh, assess honestly the condition of our own hearts. We love you and we trust you. We want to say that today. We trust that you are the giver of all things, and we are grateful for that. And we pray that you receive our thanksgiving today for all those things. And we pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, this morning, if you would stand with me, let's sing this song and let's respond to God in whatever way you need to respond. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run. Strength and strong, holy is 
my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. Oh, he is my song. You are good. 